Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Future Podcast. This is where we talk about the business of design and the changing landscape of what it takes to be a design professional in the 21st century. I'm your host, Chris Doe. Today, I want to dig into our archives and share a popular episode from our YouTube channel. You'll be hearing from these from time to time as we have over 100 episodes recorded. I have no idea what we're going to talk about today, so we're kind of doing a little free ball style, Jose Caballero style. No, we're not. Style. We're going to talk about sales. Okay. We're going to talk about sales. Tell me about sales, Jose. So the question comes from Luis Moreno. Uh, can you talk more about getting clients or lead generation or getting sales? And so, Okay, Luis Moreno wants to know about sales. Yes. Okay, talk about okay. it. Okay. We've been talking about um, confidence, listening, all these different things. Now we got to string it together. You're great at closing. You're great at kind of, you know, boom, the ask. I'm great at warming up the leads. I'm like, you know, the front. You're the, the fluffer. I'm the, not the fluffer, I'm, whatever. I'm the, okay, fluffer's fine. I'm the, uh, the forward troops, the, the. The fluffer. Okay. <laughs> Move on. Move on. Then delivering is part of the sales process, believe it or not. And then the follow-up, the whole flow, lead generation, closing, delivering, follow-up. What's lead generation, first of all? Do you even know what lead generation is? I have no idea what lead generation is. Because you've had a rep for freaking 18 years. That's true. And they do your lead generation. They do. In motion graphics and broadcast and production, somebody's pimping you. You work with a pimp. Okay. And, and now that you get the job and they kind of sell it for you and then you have to just close. Yeah. That's why you're so good at closing. All you've been doing this time is closing. Okay. Yeah. I guess that's, when we, that's what we've been focusing on mostly. And Archie said this earlier. Most of his sales come from referrals. 95% of your sales should come from referrals. You did a good job. Ask people to refer you and they'll refer you. The issue is that the other 5% in growing your business or getting the clients that you want requires you to go out there and find those clients and hunt them. Uh, a friend, Aaron Ross, calls it spears. Lead generation is spears, like what you throw uh, at your target to capture them or to get them hooked, which is a very violent metaphor. Uh, so I have a question about this. 95% sounds high, high to me. And I'll tell you why. Because True. if you're if your uh, list of clients is small to begin with, you're gonna cut that piece out and people lose clients over time. Right. So how do you build that audience? So if it's coming from referral, and you said this earlier and I thought it was really good, you have to learn to ask your existing clients for referrals. You gotta ask for it. Because people don't, people don't think about that on your behalf. They're not going home having dinner with their family and kids thinking, Jose needs more business. Maybe I should refer him to somebody. So you should ask him for it. And how, how could you ask him for that? Okay. Um, here, I've done it. You know, I've called him afterwards and said, hey, you know, if, uh, uh, you know anyone else that, uh, any other startups that I can help, uh, you know, hook me up? That was smooth. That, no, it was that simple. <laughs> Maybe another way you can say that is, um, I just want to let you know that we're expanding and growing our practice. I have, I've made it so that I can take on a few more clients. If you know anybody that can do, use our services, uh, I would be happy, you know, if you would refer us. That's a good one. And it wasn't robotic. You did it really well. My hands were kind it of robotic. Like, eh, but uh, 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 <laughs> I am Chris Doe. Master closer. Master debater? <laughs> no, closer. Master closer. Closer, closing. You're closing. good at closing. All right, set me up with a problem. So you have a, a challenge closing a client. It's a new type of client. They're in a different industry than you're used to. You've gone back and forth with them You know, on price, on services. You're selling right. them something new, strategy, yeah. which you haven't sold a lot before. Right, right. How do you close that person? Hmm. I, I, I think we've talked about this before. It's about trying to identify their pain points, uh, whatever it is that there's stumbling blocks, barriers to why they don't want to move forward. 
it could be a number of issues. It could just be it's the wrong time, meaning that they're ready to do this in two months and you just need to know that so you don't just kind of annoy the heck out of them. It could be that the price is too high or they're concerned about deliverables or something like that. So mm -hmm. I really try to just spend some time and say, well, what's holding this process up? And think about what I can do to help move that along. And sometimes you gotta just leave it alone. They're not ready to buy. When we're dealing with clients directly, when I'm not using my reps and, and it's like kind of for these smaller um, companies, it could take six to nine months to close a job. So I just put it in my calendar to follow up with them in, in a certain amount of time. And I don't want to do it to a point in which it becomes annoying, so you kind of have to watch out for that. What, what would you say to, to Luis Moreno is the secret to closing? And also to Archie, who was asking this. Secret to closing? I don't have Let's, a secret, man. One thing that you feel makes closing that helps you close. Is it listening? Is it confidence? I think it's listening. I, I believe it's confidence as well. Because I thought about this, when we did our episode on confidence, if you don't believe in you, who can believe in you? So it begins there, and a lot of, I, I think when some people in our, our audience, they're struggling, it's because they're, they're insecure about something. So they're gonna start to doubt themselves in a nervous way, they're gonna start to doubt themselves, and if you're trying to close an engagement, that's the best way to kill it. Yes, that's it. Believe in you. But the minute that the client smells a little bit of like, I don't know if I can really do this or if I don't know, like doubt, boom, they're out. That's the best possible tip. And the question is, how do you gain that confidence? You know how I do it? How do you do it? Smoke a bowl before. Okay. All right, so the next topic is delivery. So it doesn't end, sales doesn't end after you close. In order to do delivery, which is the next phase, you have to get a contract. What kind of contract do you use? I use one that's very simple. It's based on deliverables and it's a, a fixed bid. It's not based on hourly because I, I like to do value-based pricing. And so I'm usually figuring out the client's comfort range in terms of budget and what market value is. So I could possibly be doing the same amount of work for two different clients and charge them two very different prices, even though to me the value is the same. But the threshold of what one company can afford versus another is different. So if they're a multi-billion dollar company, they're going to have to pay more, and I think we talked about this before, for assurance that you're not going to screw it up. Yeah. The smaller company, it's not going to impact them as much. They're not doing $10 million of printing annually just for the, the, the brochures that they're doing. So on a much bigger company, you're going to charge them a lot more, and that's, that's how I usually do it. It's, it's value-based pricing. It's line items on what the deliverables are and not necessarily how we do it. I'm going to channel some of our audience and say, man, that's kind of douchey, man. You're charging somebody one price and somebody else another one? Mm -hmm. Oh, man, that's weird. Well, a mom and pop store with uh, sales under $5 million can only afford so much versus a company that's you know, doing $5 billion of business a year. I think that's, maybe they can understand that. Yeah, it still the Graphic douchey? Artist Guild actually puts out um, a pricing and ethical standards guide, and it says the same thing. It has basically pricing brackets relative to revenue of a company. Right. Totally fair to do, has nothing to do with, with, you know, there's nothing unethical about it. Let's jump to delivery. You have an extremely well-oiled machine here at Blind. It is smooth, it's kind of almost robotic and mechanical. You've set it up so that it's almost invisible. The creators are just doing the thing, but underneath it, there's everything from folder namings to process right, to right. POs to requirements to executive producers and it runs like a machine. Right. Delivery, how important do you think that is to getting hired again? It's, it's essential. Um, this is where kind of sales 
uh, goes away and you have to deliver on the project, right? So if you I know, disagree, I think it's still sales. You're no, always no, no, selling. no, no, no. This is what I mean. Where if I'm out there on the front line selling what we do and the guys can't deliver on that, they destroy my ability to sell. Point B. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, you have to have them believe. You have to sell them on the fact that you delivered. If your guys can't deliver, your reputation suffers. It makes the sales process that much more difficult. You can't go back out and say I'm awesome because you screwed up that, that project. That's right. So for us, having a, a great customer service experience for the client is paramount. Now that doesn't mean that the customer is always right because they're not. Uh, I'll give you one example. Okay, so this is the balance here because some some people assume that customer service is about always doing what the clients tell you to do, and that is a road to disaster potentially because they came to you for your expertise, and sometimes you kind of have to look at what the objectives are, and and clients can get very uh, prescriptive with their direction. So I'll give you an example. We're shooting a car commercial, and the clients didn't have enough money to use or to pay for a very specific piece of equipment, a techno crane. And so they wanted to do a complex move-in on the car. They said, do it for this amount of money. We agreed, and the shot was basically unusable, okay? Because you have to coordinate a lot of different parts with the camera moving in, coming down on the car, and then staying focused on it while the car is spinning as well. Jeez. So what my team had to do was then to take the photographic plates, build the CG car, map that back on, and retract and stabilize the whole shot. Jeez. So many problems. So right. that was a great lesson for us in that we learned that when the clients say this, you can say, you don't need to say no. You can say, if we do it your way and it goes wrong and we believe it will, this is, there are two other options here. We'll do in CG, it'll cost this much. Or you can just pay up front and rent the right kind of equipment so that we can do it the right way. Perfect. So that, that's an issue there. But other than that, I really try to deliver on a great frictionless client um, engagement. That's what I'm trying to do. And so what we do is we move the friction, the conflict up front, so they know what we're getting into. So the rest of it is just we're executing against that. That was awesome. Investing in process and understanding the delivery process, one of the best investments you can do, having and walking your client through what process you use is critical because now they have confidence in you. Um, and you start following it and you have confidence in having a blueprint. Freestyling is not a good idea. If you have no idea exactly how you're going to deliver and you haven't you know, developed the process or copied somebody else's, you're in danger of the traditional, you'll get upset with the client because they're asking for too much, you get angry, you stop calling them back, the client's like, ah, it's always your fault, no matter what. All right, moving on. So follow up, so what happens when you end the project? What do you do? What do we do? Well, we wanna follow up with the client. We probably wanna um, send them a gift, thanking them for the business that we appreciate what they've done. For example. Um, for example, you can write a personal note. Personal note goes a long way. The good old-fashioned analog, I'm gonna write you a note because I'm gonna take the time to do it. Okay, that's People nice. respond to that. You can just send them uh, some kind of token of your appreciation. It's not about the size or the scale or how much money that you spend, but it's just to genuinely thank them. And so if you've been paying attention during the entire process, you learn about your clients and what they like and their preferences, and you yeah. try to do something a little tailored for them. Yeah. yeah. Like one of my clients, they like spicy foods and they, they love wasabi, so I, I got them some kind of thing that you can only buy in Asian markets, like wasabi peas, and send it to That's them. Great. That's great. Do you ask them for a referral or for um, for a testimonial? Uh, my executive producer should, yeah. They, they usually will send you um, a really nice complimentary email. That's how you know you're doing it right. And so then we just ask at some point, can we use this? Uh, as a testimonial. As a testimonial.
Thanks for tuning in and listening to us and spending a part of your day with me. Really appreciate it. And I want to talk a little bit about how we're able to do this. So the future is made possible by some of our lovely sponsors and partners, one of which is Pond5.com. If you guys need to get some stock footage, After Effects presets, Pond5 is the place to go. And the future is also made possible by Matthew Encina, Greg Gunn, Scott Rothstein, Nicole Wasserman, and the entire blind staff, which I would not be able to do fun stuff like this and spend the day with you without their support because they run the business for me. The man behind the scene, the man with the plan, Aaron Zakelli. He's responsible for recording this, engineering it, doing the sound design, the editing. He pretty much makes this podcast possible. You can find him online as well. And of course, I have to thank Adam Sanborn, the person who composed and wrote the piece of music that you're listening to. You can find him at adamsanborn.com. <laughs>